Hello and welcome to Step Into Light. And I'm Michelle Jones and I'm so happy to be here with you today. It's taken me a couple of weeks of quarantine life to realize that my usual midweek recording of the podcast is not going to be effective when everyone is home in my house 24 hours a day. So we are going to give it a shot to do Sundays and see how that works out from a recording perspective. So you may hear some people in the background because like you, I'm here with my family 24 hours a day. We're all here together. But I really wanted to jump back in. I've really missed this um, time and opportunity to really have the opportunity to share some of my thoughts and feelings as I'm able to read through the Book of Mormon. So we're going to do a little bit of a speed dating relationship here with um, the beginning chapters of Mosiah because I'm not, I felt like I wanted to go ahead and cover all of Mosiah 1 through 10. So we have Um, The two weeks that I missed, plus this current week coming up that I am going to cover here today, and I'm really looking forward to it. There's some great information in here, and I kind of divide this section, this 1 through 10. We're going to see the first sort of six chapters. We're going to be covering um, King Mosiah, I mean, excuse me, King Benjamin is preparing Um, He knows that his life is coming to an end and he needs to not only prepare his son Mosiah to take over and be king, to give him all the instructions that he needs, but he also needs to prepare his people to make sure that when he has finished his responsibility here as their king and their spiritual leader, that when he returns to face God, that he has said all the things that he needs to say. And so... This is really where we begin. And then starting in about chapter seven, we're going to see this transition where we will begin talking about a different plot point. So we'll address that then. And that transition in seven is going to carry us through the next like two, maybe three weeks. So let's start first here at the beginning of our reading. And we have Benjamin is talking just to his son, Mosiah here, and he is giving him some instruction and we are really seeing this father to son pass on and interestingly of all the things that could be recorded here I I imagine there's a lot of responsibilities to being king of a large number of people a lot of items of business a lot of details to be understood and figured out and yet in these verses we're in chapter one verses um, about 10 through 14 we really see King Benjamin focusing on things of God and making sure that his son understands how important it is to align himself as a ruler and as a king with the Lord and to guide and lead the people in a way that is pleasing to God. So that is really inspiring to me. I really love to see that that is the focus of these last kind of 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 his last days as he's preparing to transfer his kingdom over. So after he's had a chance to talk with Mosiah specifically, he then wants to, to gather all the people to the temple. And I think this is a section that many of us are familiar with and you can picture it. In fact, the new um, Book of Mormon video does an excellent job of showing, you know, the, 
the population of the Nephites at this time has grown substantially. There are more people than can just gather around and listen to Benjamin on the steps of the temple. So he has this tower built. He instructs people to meet together as families within their tents to listen to the prophet. I was thinking about how that uh, played out in this general conference even more than it has at other conferences as we all from within our sort of family homes or tents we're all watching conference even the families of the leaders of the church were doing that as we had no in-person audience for conference but everybody was with their families listening to the prophet um so this is the setup and you know king benjamin has some things that he really wants to make sure that he gets communicated these are like the last things that he wants to say so and some of them are really familiar and um, but there were a few things that really stood out to me within what he shared so i want to take us to mosiah chapter 2 verse 9 and in verse 9 he says open your ears that ye may hear and your hearts that ye may understand and your minds that the mysteries of god may be unfolded to your view and as I read, I really connect this that it is our privilege if we want to seek after it and that it is an active process. So this isn't something that um, sort of in my experience that this process of having our ears opened to be able to clearly hear and understand the things of God and having our our hearts that they can that that we can understand the things that are happening around us from that perspective of heavenly father and his plan and the savior and how all of this connects together and our minds that that it can be unfolded to us and oftentimes what's in this phrase is our eyes that we may see that we may see the hand of god in our life so this little introduction that king benjamin is teaching his people before he shares anything communicates to me that we have the ability in any of these circumstances, either in reading our scriptures or listening to the prophet, to make this as much of an experience as we would like it to be. And that it is something that we get better at the more we practice it. So I think that's really exciting and encouraging. The more that we seek after it and we practice and maybe we stumble through it a little bit, pretty soon we, this becomes a strength and we then can take this privilege that is being offered to us to really have the ability to see and understand things as in in the fullness of what's really available to us. Because so often we may catch pieces of it, but really there's so much more available to us in our study, in our listening to the prophet, even in our prayers, I think that we can um, connect with God more than we realize sometimes. Um, he goes on to say he's talking about his time and serving them and how he became the king. And he says something in verse 11 that stood out to me. He's, you know, he's saying that I should be a ruler and a king over this people. And he says, and have been kept and preserved by his matchless power to serve you with all might, mind and strength, which, which the Lord has granted unto me. And that phrase kept and preserved by his matchless power. I don't think that that's reserved for kings. In fact, I know that it's not because I have experienced in my own life a sure understanding that I have been preserved in some situations um, and protected from certain um, 
things. And some of them I could tell you with clarity in this moment, I know I was protected because it was revealed to me. But there are other things that I have had a feeling that I don't even know what I was protected from. And for that, I am grateful. And, you know, it's very difficult because on the one hand, we have this privilege and this opportunity to be protected and to be preserved when we're leaning into the Lord. And he, um, I maybe the word preserve is really something that, you know, he, he's saying that he, he was kept and preserved by his matchless power to serve. So as the king, he knew that he was preserved or protected or set apart in order to do that. And so there are certain things that the Lord needs us to do or needs us to experience or that he can protect us from in our pathway that is our own personal way back to him will not be um, like affected detrimentally. And I think that it's such an interesting balance in our faith to also connect to that there are times when the Lord allows us to experience and to not be protected from pain of all kinds. And that both are true at once, that, that, or, or that, that both of those can be true. There are definitely experiences that I've been allowed to experience that were painful and that there was a lot of suffering involved. And yet, despite the fact that in those moments when I begged to be, to just, just have that pain taken from me, despite the fact that that wasn't answered how I wanted it to be, I still know with a surety that there are moments when the Lord is able to rescue us when it is not needful for us to experience the things that we do. Which isn't to say that I miraculously know how to discern exactly why we experience everything that we do. That is not the case. I just understand and have come to believe as I have really communed with the Lord that there is purpose in our struggle. I really do believe that that is true. I have felt the truth of it and I have seen the miracles unfold in my life because I have been a part of painful and difficult situations. I would never have been in a position to see and witness the miracles and to feel the strength of angels and our Savior as he has strengthened me in those times. Okay, so now we're going to get into some of the, his actual teachings. And we're going to come to, I think, one of the more well-known verses from King Benjamin's um, sermon, if you will, these, these, these last words to his people. And so he's talking in verse 16 and 17 and 18 about service. And so service is really giving of ourselves to help and benefit somebody else. And he says in verse 17, I tell you these things that ye may learn wisdom. And to me, learning wisdom is to understand how God works and to understand eternal life. So this is a little bit, I mean, when we're talking about like spiritual wisdom. So this is a little bit of insight that we're allowed to see and understand that this um, concept of service is not something that strictly benefits us with our temporal needs here on earth, but the underlying principles and foundations to it are eternal in nature, that there is something about this that is critical for our growth, and it's critical for our natures to become more like God. Um, he says that ye may learn that when ye are in the service of your fellow beings, ye are only in the service of your God. 
And one thing that I feel like is synonymous, I know that um, service is a form of love. You know, we can do things for other people without love in our hearts. There's a lot of reasons why people may give or serve or sacrifice. But I think when it's at its best, when service is at its best, it is a form of love. And in many ways, it's a tangible form of love. And that love is God. Like God is the ultimate source of love and light in our life. And he emulates it and teaches us through our experiences the power of this love that he has. And so we really have this opportunity with this love that comes from God and gives life and light and hope to people that through our service and through that loving nature that we can step into more and embrace that we are able to bring so much more than just filling the hunger of someone's empty belly. Although that in and of itself is a great gift that we can do for one another. I appreciate here the next thing that Mosiah says immediately after this is sharing a little bit about how we all, you know, how we rely on God. And so we're in chapter two, verses 20 through 21. He says, if you should render all the thanks and praise which your whole soul has power to possess to that God who has created you and has kept and preserved you and has caused that you should rejoice and has granted that ye should live in peace one with another. I say unto you, if ye should serve him who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day by lending you breath, that ye may live and move and do according to your own will and even supporting you from one moment to another. I say, if you should serve him with all your whole souls, yet ye would be unprofitable servants. And at first that can almost sound a little discouraging, like, wow, nothing that we can do is going to be enough to repay the Lord for everything that he's done. But actually, I think that this is really beautiful because one of the things that this is communicating to me is that we are not here to earn our worth. So here on earth, our time here on earth, that's not what this is about. We're not here to earn our worth. We're not here to pay back God for everything that he's done for us. And because we can't like that, it doesn't even work. King Benjamin is teaching us there's nothing that we could do that would pay the Lord back for everything that he's done for us. So let's not focus our attention as if our whole purpose here is to prove something that we deserve God's love or that we have worth because that's already part of the equation. We already have the worth. We came here to this earth with inherent and divine and exquisite worth, and it is part of us. It can't be taken from us and we're not here to earn it. It's already ours. What we're here to do is to become more like our father in heaven and our mother in heaven. And I believe that we're here, you know, that was already what we were doing before we came, except we didn't have these bodies. And so I think part of this experience is bringing our bodies along for the path that our spirit has already decided that it wants to go. And so we're bringing our body into alignment with our spirit as we help both develop into becoming like our heavenly parents. So I really love that, that we're just being reminded that we don't, that we're not here to earn anything. Um, so let's move forward a little bit. We have verse 38. And it's interesting because he talks about, you know, at the end of our lives, at the end of this time, 
that there are consequences for our choices, that we get to choose, that's part of our agency, but connected with our choices, we also have consequences. And interestingly, I found a lot of compassion for people that are being described here in this verse. So in verse 38, it says, Therefore, if that man repenteth not, and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, the, de the, the demands of divine justice do awaken his immortal soul to a lively sense of his own guilt, which doth cause him to shrink from the presence of the Lord, and doth fill his breast with guilt and pain and anguish. So as they're talking about this, I thought, okay, it's kind of astonishing that people would choose that experience over choosing God. But I, I think that part of what is challenging is that many, many people, they don't understand the relief that is available and the grace that will come through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Because the very first thing it says, if that man repenteth not... And so we have that option and that opportunity to connect with our God and to, through this gift that has already been, it, like all the work has already been done. All we need to do is choose it. That if we choose that we want to repent, that I sometimes as we look at repentance, it can feel like a burden or like beginning that pathway will just make everything that it's going to make us feel worse essentially whether that's because of guilt or other things and yet consistently my experience has been that there's tremendous relief that comes with repentance we feel a lightening of our heart we are inviting grace to come into our life and then we can embrace hope and all of those things coming together are a happy and a joyful path to be on and that if that were more clear if that were something that we could trust internally it would feel so intuitive to turn to that and so that's something that we have a blessing to to put to the test and that we really have a blessing to have that understanding because it seems to me that there are many that m that must not have that understanding so we're going to move into chapter three now. And um, at the beginning of chapter three, we um, are introduced to an angel. There's an angel of the Lord that comes and is speaking to King Benjamin. And um, well, King, excuse me, this has already happened. And King Benjamin is relating this to the people this time when this angel comes. And I love this. I've been really looking through my readings this time to really find all the testimonies of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Book of Mormon. And here in chapter three, we have this beautiful prophecy in chapter three, verses five through eight, talking about our savior, that he will come, come onto the earth. And so we have this sort of understanding of these people living on this other continent, 120 something years before the savior is to be born on the earth. And they are being privileged to understand and to know what is yet to come. Um, talking about how he shall in verse 6, 5, dwell in a tabernacle of clay, working mighty miracles. And then um, the angel is also testifying in verse 13, whosoever should believe that Christ should come, the same might receive remission of their sins and rejoice with exceedingly great joy. 
Um, and in verse 17, there shall be no other name given, nor any other way, nor means whereby salvation can come unto the children of men, only in and through the name of Christ, the Lord omnipotent. And amen. I am so thankful that the Book of Mormon, nearly with every reading that we have assigned here in these little segments, that we have the opportunity to see how through the Book of Mormon, our testimony and our understanding at the critical role of the Savior in our life, that this just supports that, it strengthens it, it brings light and hope to that. Um, I do appreciate in verse 19, this is, I think, also a very well-known verse, t teaching us about how we can become more Christ-like. And there is more to come in, in chapter 4 as we speak about this, so I think this is a good transition, that to be followers of Christ begins as an intimate experience between us and our Savior and between us and our Heavenly Father. But eventually, as that change comes within us, it begins to affect not only our relationship with our Savior and our Heavenly Father, but also with those around us. And I think that that's really the where this conversation is turning to as we head into the next chapter. But in, chapter, in verse 19 of chapter 3, um, we're talking about how as we yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit. And I love how it's phrased that way. You know, the Lord doesn't demand it of us. He doesn't tie us to a chair until we agree to do it his way. We are enticed. We are guided. We are directed. And we have the choice if we want to yield to that or not. To become as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. And all of these things really speak of trust to me, developing, allowing the Holy Ghost to work on us and to continue learning and to continue moving forward in such a way that we begin to develop an unshakable trust and faith in our heavenly parents and in our Savior so that stepping into these roles feels safe and feels like a sure foundation for us. So as we turn into chapter four, we are going to see that um, the people have a prayer. And I really thought as I read this prayer that this is a potential pattern for growth in our lives. It's a potential pattern for refinement for being purified and really for seeking forgiveness that we want, that this is something that we can have for ourselves. And they said, oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we may receive forgiveness of our sins and our hearts may be purified for we believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God. It's such a simple pattern. And yet how much power is in that? The people are praying for forgiveness and they are asking, and I think this is so beautiful, and it's really never occurred to me to pray in this specific way, but I love it. And it is to pray that our hearts may be purified. And maybe I have, I just haven't phrased it quite like that, because I have prayed that for that process. But I think that this is such a concise way of phrasing it to remind us that we can literally pray just as we talked about having our ears to hear and our eyes to be opened and our minds to understand that we can pray to become purified and sanctified to be able to um, 
feel and understand and see those things of God so much more clearly and to have that growth in our life. And so after they had spoken these words, again, part of this pattern in verse three, the spirit of the Lord came upon them and they were filled with joy. So then in verse six of chapter four, um, King Benjamin says, if ye have come to a knowledge of the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and his patience and his long suffering toward the children of men, like you will know that you are connecting with God when you can see and understand these things about him and our experiences with God shape how we see him. Are we finding ways to have these revealing interactions and experiences with God? In other words, when we are praying, it is our choice if we would like to seek after understanding the nature of God a little bit better and to like breaking it down and to understand the goodness of God, to really come to gain that understanding for ourselves, his matchless power. We believe in a God of miracles and of power and strength and his wisdom his patience and his long suffering and gentle lovingness toward the children of men. Um, in verse nine, this has big, been a huge foundation for the key to my faith and hope, which I feel like those are so connected. When I have a sure faith or trust in my Savior and in my Heavenly Father, then my hope becomes bright and is something that brings me rest and peace. So King Benjamin teaches us in chapter four, verse nine, believe in God, believe that he is, believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. So that mindset of being willing to believe in God, I believe that he is, and I believe that I cannot comprehend at this moment with this pers perspective that I have all the things that God can comprehend and I believe that he loves me so I lean into that and I trust him because he can see more than I can see and so I trust him that he's going to take care of me um, and then King Benjamin like a good father and king says in at, at the very end of verse 10 if you believe these things see that you do them and then we begin with that, um, I kind of alluded to this section before, and I call chapter 4, verses 12 through, say, 29, 30, sort of the life of a true Christian, that this is how we can know. And part of it, he's teaching us to take care of the poor and the needy, those that are begging, those that are in need of our succor. In verse 16, he says, Ye yourselves will succor those that stand in need of your succor. Ye will administer of your substance unto him that standeth in need, and ye will not suffer that the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why it's easy to A, make judgments against people, and B, to come up with all the reasons why our giving is either won't make a difference or the person may just use what we give them for something that's not helpful. However, I love how King Benjamin is teaching us in verse 19. Are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend on the same being, even God, for all the substance which we have? 
And I really appreciate, you know, at this time, in many ways, people are in need everywhere. And some people need tangible things and some people are lonely and some people are sick and they're alone in their hospital room. And there's such diversity in what people need that it can be overwhelming. And I love that concept of lifting where you stand, wherever you are, that is where you can lift. And we trust that all around us, all across the globe, that if others are also lifting where they stand, then we are all um, protected. And I think that is part of the beauty of prayer because those that we cannot reach, the Lord knows how to connect with people that can reach them. So I was thinking about how can we reach out? And for each of us, it's different. And even for each time in our life, this is different. Um, The specific example that came to mind as I was reading this was um, driving by um, maybe someone who is homeless or disabled or really hard, just in a terrible situation right now that has brought them to the point where they are standing on the side of the road, which is nobody's first choice, holding up a sign, asking in need of something. And at different points in our life, in fact, King Benjamin even says in verse 24 that there may be times in our life when we will deny the beggar because we have nothing to give. I would that you would say in your hearts in those moments, I give not because I have not, but if I had, I would give. And to me, that is prayer. And during an earlier point in my life when I could not, I didn't have the means really to help other people. It was a struggle just to meet my own needs. I would try to see people with compassion, with a compassionate perspective and a compassionate heart and offer up a prayer to God for them as I would pass by them. Um, And in different phases, I've tried different things. Right now, my current strategy, I have, um, I got this idea from someone that I really care about and it seemed like something that I wanted to see how that worked for me, which is I keep some dollar bills in the center console of my car And when I'm driving, because typically that's when I see people is when I'm driving. And, you know, I'm not a person who typically carries around cash. I have my debit card or my credit card and my driver's license. And I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a cash carrying person very much. And yet, if I have these one dollar bills and I see somebody, I've made the decision ahead of time. Anybody that I can that is that it's reasonable and safe for me to when I see them to give them the dollar that to give them a dollar that I have and I try to make eye contact, let them know that they are seen, that their need is noticed and to share what I have. And occasionally the Lord will prompt me to do more than just that. Um, And occasionally I'll have the feeling that I shouldn't stop. But my default choice that I plan ahead for how I want to respond in those situations. And it has been nothing but a blessing in my life. And I am thankful for that. Um, in verse 28, so now after he's telling us all of the good things that we can do, he's warning us that there's also some things we shouldn't be doing. And in verse 29, he says, I cannot tell you all the things whereby ye may commit sin, for there are divers ways and means. And this was like making me laugh out loud because... King Benjamin is like, I literally could not tell you all the things you would find a loophole and do something different anyway. Like they're like for for as varied and different as people are, are the varied and different ways that people can get pulled off of their course of being connected to God. 
Um, and that this is part of why I think that we have been taught so much, particularly recently, that we need to get really comfortable and familiar with hearing God, that hear him. And we need to become more and more comfortable with receiving revelation as a part of our normal um, life, because that is what will direct us to know for our own self and our own circumstances, what are the things that are going to bring us closer to God? And what are the things in our own life that are pulling us away? And we can be sensitive to that. Um, And then in Mosiah chapter 5, verse 15, um, King Benjamin is asking us again, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God omnipotent may seal you his. And it's so beautiful. I love that. So then we have in chapter six is a bit of a transition chapter because King Benjamin um, lives three years after this time where he's gathered everyone together. So I said days earlier, but it's actually years. So he has three years left um, and King Mosiah has taken over. And in fact, he took over before his father even died, but he continued to walk in the ways of the Lord. So he took his father's counsel and is continuing to do that. So they've lived for for this whole time in this three years in a time of peace. People are walking in their testimonies. They are moving forward. And now we're getting to that second part that I had alluded to earlier. So now we're going to be connecting with almost what is a side plot. So we have this main group of people. And then back in Omni, you can find it in Omni verse 27. There's this group of people led by Zenith that leave and they go to try and find the original land where they originally came to the promised land from Jerusalem way back at the beginning. Um, And the people back in Zarahemla are like, gosh, I wonder whatever happened to those people. We really should go find out. So it is many years later after they had left that Mosiah sends a group of uh, people out after them. And one of them, his name is Ammon. And there are three other brethren that are named that go with him, Amalekai, Helam, and Hem. And they went down to try to find these people. And they wandered around. It took them a long time. They spent like 40 days looking around. And they finally went down into this land of Nephi. And they were looking for the king. And the king's guard surrounded them and put them in prison because they didn't know who they were. So now we're going to find out for, from now until I think chapter 22, we're going to be talking about this group of people that started with Zenith. Um, Zenith's son, King Noah, then became king. He's an infamous king. And then King Limhi. And King Limhi is who Ammon meets. And so they're going to have some conversation, King Limhi to Ammon. They're going to get on the same page about what they're there for. And then we're going to get to from about chapters, oh, nine until 22, we are going to be hearing about the story of these people that had gone back to this land and all that has transpired with them. So we are now in chapter seven. So King Limhi is telling Ammon, I am Limhi, the son of Noah. Chap- and in verse 13, Ammon is saying, I am an Ammon and a descendant of Zarahemla. And King Limhi is delighted that this has happened because 
they are currently in bondage to the Lamanites. And they it is just miserable for them. And they have been hoping that that they could connect with these people that his, you know, that way back in the beginning when this group first separated back long before he was even born, hoping to connect with them and find some relief from them. But they had gone and sent search parties and never found anyone. So they didn't even know for sure if they were still there, if they were still alive. So being able to meet Ammon and hear that those people were still alive and able to maybe be a refuge for them was a huge sense of relief and rejoicing for him. Um, so as we continue through, King Limahai is going to speak to the people. He gathers them together to the temple and he's going to speak to them. And then Ammon is going to speak with them. <clears throat> so first we'll hear from Limhi. So he's the king over the people. He does... Um, believe in God. He's following God. They do not have any of the records. So there may be some things that have been missing from their understanding, but um, we'll soon come to learn that Abinadi came in and filled in and taught them much of what they needed to know. So King Limah is talking to his people. Remember, they're in bondage to the Lamanites. He tells them in verse 19, therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice and put your trust in God. So I, you know, so wonderful to be reminded that we can lift up our heads, rejoice and put trust in God. They haven't seen the miracle yet. They haven't seen how they're going to get released from this bondage, but they have hope and faith and trust in God. And so they're leaning in to that and allowing themselves to have hope and trust before the miracle even comes to pass. Um, and then he starts to tell a little bit of the story, reminding them in verse 21 that Zenith was made king over the people. Um, Zenith was the leader that had first led them out. He was really, uh, you know, here it uses the phrase overzealous to inherit the land of his fathers. And he was deceived by King Laman. He went to King Laman, we're going to learn. And he was deceived by them. We talk about King Noah's time. We know that King Noah was a very wicked king. Um, and, you know, we're really seeing this whole, like the grace that can come regardless of this whole path that started because of King Zenith and his decisions led to a big struggle and a falling away for many of his people. And yet here they are being brought back to the Lord and that, like in verse 29, the Lord is talking about how he will not succor his people and he will hedge up their ways that they prosper not and their doing shall be a stumbling block to them. And as a parent that is completely imperfect, I look at this verse and I really think, okay, I, from what I understand about the nature of God from my experiences and from my experience of being a parent, some of this may be that the Lord is trying to guide them and redirect their path. He can see that the path that they're on is going to a place that will not bring them lasting joy, that will not help them to become who they wanted. You know, be, before we came here, I believe that we had desires and we knew what we wanted to accomplish while we were here. We knew um, that we hoped to become like 
our heavenly parents that there were those of us who hoped for that and he knows what we wanted before we came and so there are things so it feels corrective to me more than punitive that he would bring stumbling blocks and make it so that certain pathways are just not going to be very easy to go down compared to other ones um but then he says in verse 33 if you will turn to the lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and this is what king lim high is teaching his people and so this correction and this contrast that the people are able to see between living a life that is connected to god and living a life where we turn our backs to him that there is a big contrast there and when the people can sense and feel that and feel the joy and the grace that comes by leaning into the savior then it's be, begins to bring a little bit more clarity into the workings of the lord so <clears throat> then um king limhai continues he's explaining that they had sent a search party hoping to find the people of Zarahemla, and instead they found the end of the Jaredite civilization, just the last ends of destruction. Um, nobody alive, but they did find these 24 gold plates, which they're very interested in seeing if they can get translated. And so then we are beginning to talk about what I think is really interesting in chapter eight, verses 13 through 18, we talk about the gift of translation um, and how this is a gift from God in chapter eight, verse 13. Um, King Limhi is asking if Ammon can translate these records. And he says that there is a man who can translate the records and that it is a gift from God. And in verse 16, Ammon said that, a seer is a revelator and a prophet also, and a gift which is greater can no man have. Verse 17, a seer can know of things which are past and also things are, which are yet to come, and hidden things shall come to light. And so I'm thinking about King Mosiah is who Ammon is referencing here as a seer who has the ability to translate this. I'm obviously thinking about Joseph Smith also who has carried this role, and you know many are our prophets and apostles here in our modern day are indeed called prophets, seers, and revelators. And in verse 18, thus, so we know that this is a gift from God. We know that it can be given to people and that it can give us insight into things. And in verse 18, because of this, thus, God has provided a means that man through faith might work mighty miracles Therefore, he becometh a great benefit to his fellow beings. So God provides ways for us to begin to understand his workings beyond our perspective in this mortal sphere. And the gift of having seers and prophets among us and revelators is a tremendous gift from our Father in heaven. So now chapter 9 leads us into this start of the group. And so we're going to learn about Zenith here in chapters 9 and 10 and then next week we'll pick up with king noah so basically zenith is in this group of people they initially got sent out to be spies and to go and spy on the lamanites and see what was going on so we're rewinding time probably back 100 years at least and 
There was a lot of internal contention within this party that got sent out, whether they should try and connect with the Lamanites or just destroy the Lamanites. And Zenith was really of the mind that they should be compassionate and try to like work with the Lamanites. And within the group, there was no agreement on that. And many people died because of that disagreement. Um, and in verse three, despite all of that, so we're in chapter nine, verse three, um, Zenith says, so this is in his own reading. This is the chapters. This is part of the record that they, that, that these people kept. Um, Zenith says, I, I being overzealous to inherit the land of our fathers collected as many as were desirous to go up to possess the land. So he made a deal with the Lamanite king when they got there in verse, in verse five. And the Lamanite king was like, yeah, you can totally live here. In fact, we're all going to move out so that you can have this prime land. It'll be great. Come on in. And Zenith thought that this was fabulous. So they came in and they started to really be productive in the land. They planted seeds, they repaired buildings, they created these beautiful cities. And it was really, Zenith felt like in hindsight that this was really cunning of the king of the Lamanites, that he was, um, King Laman, that he was really trying to trick them into coming and making all this productivity that then the Lamanites could benefit from. And, you know, he was playing a long game because for 12 years they were able to do this really in peace. But then in verse 13, we see that King Laman began to stir up his people that they should contend with their people. And there was just this huge battle. But um, in chapter 9, verses 16 through 17, they were prepared for battle they physically did all they could do and we see a key here then they relied on god so he did arm them with bows and with arrows and with swords and with scimitars and clubs and slings and all manner of weapons to go forth but then in verse 17 yea in the strength of the lord we did go forth to battle and i and my people did cry mightily to the lord verse 18 god did hear our cries and did answer our prayers and this made me think what are our battles what are the things that we are facing in our life and how do we want to face them? What are we taking into battle with us every day in the things that are challenging us, that are pulling at us? There are, I think it's really helpful to see King Limhi, or excuse me, um, Zenith telling us not, we didn't just pray. We did bring all of these things. We prepared ourselves to face it. But he recognizes that all of our preparation, that that was important. The Lord worked through our preparation, but that the key to it is that God heard our cries and answered our prayers and that they were able to go forth in might. So they were able to win that battle and really very, very few compared to the Lamanite losses were lost. Um, chapter 10, they began to prepare and to protect themselves um, against a time when this may come, they made future weapons of war. And then they set up guards to be on the lookout for when this could happen again, again, as we're looking in our life. What are the type of protections that we need to be putting up? 22 years have passed. Um, and it's interesting, this next section, and this is really where I'm going to end, because all of this is happening because the Lamanites have these beliefs about how they were wronged. And we see this in chapter 10, verses 11 through about 13, that 
that they had all of these beliefs about the things that were wronged and how many generations later this has affected them. I mean, we're talking like 500 years later, for between four and 500 years later, this is still a significant thing for these people. And I look at our own lives and I look at times when we have been wronged. Maybe it is something that we didn't understand. So maybe the wrong isn't as big as we thought it was. You know, the Lamanites misunderstood a lot of the things that were happening here, or there's a big discrepancy between the Lamanites perspective and the Nephites. But there are also times in our lives when we are legitimately wronged. And how can we stop that process that the Lamanites had from happening to us in terms of how it affects ourselves and our children and from that becoming, you know, part of part of our legacy and our story. And maybe part of it is maybe the first step is just learning to recognize it, to recognize the things in our life that the beliefs that we may have that are based upon a time when we believed that we were wronged or that our trust was misused or whatever the case may be. And to ask the Lord what he would have us learn about that. Because the amount of people that were affected and that died and that were led away from God because of how the Lamanites viewed the actions of the Nephites, and maybe some of the actions of the Nephites weren't that great. But here we have hundreds of years later, these tremendous battles filled with so much hate and we have that opportunity in our own life to find those things that may become a stumbling block, not only for us, but for our children and so on, because of the way that we see and perceive things. And in fact, in verse 17, we see that they have taught their children that they should hate them. So that really stood out to me as being something that is helpful. And at the end, we see that Zenef confers his kingdom to Noah. So next week, we will pick back up with Noah, and I hope that you all are doing well and surviving your uh, quarantine slash stay-at-home time, and uh, I will catch up with you again next week.